Well, I'd like for you to stand with me, if you would, as we pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon his word today. And um, just for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher this morning, for uh, Jesus told his disciples that he will teach you all things and remind you of all things that I've given unto thee. And so that's our prayer this morning. Father, that, Lord, we would have an ear to hear what the Spirit wants to say unto the church. And Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be open and receptive, Lord, that our focus would be upon you, Lord. What a wonderful time of worship and praise, Lord, already beginning to till the soil of our heart, God, and to break up any fallow ground that the seed of the word might be planted. And Lord, that we might truly receive all that you have for us. And Lord, that we would not be distracted by uh, what we uh, have experienced already this week and what we're looking forward to today. But Lord, our focus right now would be upon your word, upon your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. For we ask these things in his name and all of God's people said, Amen. Go ahead and have your seats if you would, please. And as you're sitting down, if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be looking at some verses in Matthew chapter 3 and then also in Matthew chapter 4. And what I'd like to share with you this morning about is laying the foundation for ministry. Laying the foundation for ministry. Uh, I remember a few years back I uh, had received a call from your pastor. He was uh, overseeing the uh, school of ministry there at Calvary Chapel Modesto and he had called and asked if I would come and share with the students and I was blessed and privileged to do that and I shared uh, my testimony how I came to the Lord and how the Lord uh, had a calling on my life and uh, how the Lord had used me through the years in, in planting churches and I've always had a heart for church planting and even before I was a part of Calvary Chapel I, uh, I uh, was affiliated with the Southern Baptist and uh, I was a church planter with them. I worked out of the home mission board in Fresno, California and was planting churches all up and down the what they called the Eastern Sierra Corridor uh, from Independence all the way up to Reno, Nevada. And uh, so church planting has always been um, really a part of what God's done in my life and how he's used me in ministry. And currently the church that I pastor is the longest I've ever stayed anywhere. Uh, I've been in Antioch now 14 years, and uh, even in that time, we've sent out uh, four young men to uh, pastor churches, plant churches, start churches, and so I have a heart for the church, for the local church, the body of Christ, and oftentimes when we think about church planting, uh, there is a tendency today to think about uh, uh, having to have some type of a a special organization or some type of special strategy. And I think the Word of God lays out the strategy for planning a church. Especially when we turn to the book of Acts, we see this wonderful historical model of how the church was birthed and how it grew and how it began to flourish and how that God was using individuals and groups of people to build the body of Christ. Jesus had given a commission to his disciples in Acts 1.8. He said, you're going to receive power the power of the Holy Spirit. It's going to come down from on high, 
And, and you're going to be literally immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit so that you might be my witnesses in both Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We know that that happened on the day of Pentecost. And from that point, the church was now being birthed and it was growing and God was using Peter and James and John. He would use the Apostle Paul who would come on the scene a little bit later. But, but all of this, this growth of the church or the building of the church or laying the foundation of the church. It began with Christ. Uh, I was especially blessed by uh, the second to the last song uh, that was shared, Into the Arms of Grace. And, and I just want to read the words to you. Sometimes we sing these songs, I uh, have our eyes closed, we're worshiping the Lord, but do we really think about the words? Do we really think about what we're singing? It says, As I gaze upon the cross and all my sinless Savior bore, I will worship. I will bow down and adore. Nothing I could ever do could ever make you love me more. I surrender to the wonder of it all. Isn't that a great line? I surrender to the wonder of it all. Now I reign in life through your gift of grace, and your righteousness is my own, and the price is paid. Now you've made a way to come home, into the arms of grace I run. The second verse says, when I cease from all my striving, and hopefully you've done that this morning, you turn my water into wine, and I remember you alone bring this change in me. Now for freedom I'm set free, free to love my Savior more, so I will live for the glory of your name. Never was love, never was a love so strong, Never was a love so true, giving up your only son to release me from the debt I owed to you. Uh, I'm going to have to learn that song. It's a great song, but great lyrics. But it, it really kind of sums up what we're talking about this morning when we talk about laying the foundation for ministry. And if you'll look with me in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, we see that Jesus has come on the scene. We see the wonderful, supernatural, miraculous birth of Jesus, born of a virgin, sent forth by the Father to a lost and a dying world. Jesus has grown into adulthood. We don't hear a lot in Scripture about his early years. Uh, we see his birth, and we don't see him again until he's 12 years old, where he goes up to the temple with his family to worship the Lord. And now we see Jesus coming on the scene, and he's uh, approximately 30 years of age, and he's beginning his ministry. But there in verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Now you have to ask yourself this question this morning. Did Jesus need to be baptized? Why do we baptize people? Well, baptism is the outward expression or public testimony of an inward experience. When I'm baptized or submerged in water, submerged in water, what I'm doing is I'm bearing public testimony that I've, I've been born again, I've received Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, and I've, I've been buried in Christ to an old way of life, an old life of sin. When I come up out of the water, I'm being resurrected to newness of life. Now for Jesus, it's interesting that there was no need for baptism in the same manner in which we're baptized because he was sinless. He didn't need redemption. He was bringing redemption, right? 
So why was Jesus being baptized? I think the significance of what happened there that day on the Jordan River as he comes to John, who's the last of the Old Testament prophets, and John's been preaching a simple message, repent, repent for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He comes there and and Jesus says, I want to submit to you, John, and I want you to baptize me. I want you to immerse me. And I think it was a, a picture for us that we follow in like manner the willingness of Jesus to submit himself to John and to be baptized, not for the cleansing or, or the remission of sin, but as an example to us that we need to be immersed in Christ. We need to be submerged into the forgiveness and the cleansing of Jesus. Well, John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So baptism, at least in Jesus' estimation, baptism was an act of righteousness. The word righteous simply means to do the right thing. So as believers, the right thing for us to do is to be baptized, to follow in like manner as Jesus. And then he allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now once again, we see this sequence or this series of events that's taking place and you're probably thinking well what does this have to do with the laying of the foundation for ministry or for the church well everything because Paul would say not once not twice but at least eight times in his writings that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone the very foundation of the church when this church began a few years back as your pastor was feeling led of the Holy Spirit to launch out with his family and a group of people. And uh, I think Jeff was sharing with me that uh, for about a year prior to starting the church, there was a group of you that met together and you prayed. And you were praying for the leading of God, for the direction of God to, to do a work in this community. And, and your pastor had it in his heart to begin the work, but I'm sure he would be the first to tell you that he realized from the very beginning that the sure foundation, the very foundation of this and any other church has to be Jesus Christ. It has to be the Lord. Would you agree with that this morning? I mean, Jesus is really the shepherd of this church. He's the chief shepherd. Your pastor is an under-shepherd. Just as the fellowship that I pastor, Jesus is the chief shepherd, I'm the under-shepherd, because I realize that it is all about Jesus. Several years ago, I had an elderly man come up to me after a Sunday morning service, and God has a way of doing this to pastors because he wants to keep us humble. And he'll use other people to humble us sometimes. And uh, this elderly man came up to me and in a very loving way put his arm around me and around my shoulder. And he said, you know, Pastor John, I, I'd just like to share something, something for you to think about. And I thought, oh boy, here it comes. And he said, it's just simply this. He said, when you talk about the Word of God, when you talk about Jesus, just remember this. It's more about who He is 
rather than who you are. And then he just walked away. Now, I had to think about that for a moment. And, and as I began to think about it, and then I began to pray about it, what I realized was what he was saying to me is, when you're up there and you're teaching the Word of God, there's a possibility that it can be too much about you and not enough about Jesus. And, and I had never forgotten that. I remembered those words. Uh, I was humbled by that as a reminder that, that when we teach from the Word of God, when we're sharing the Word of God, it has to be about Jesus. Amen? Well, that was pretty weak. A amen? amen? All right, I just, I just want to see if you all are awake. Um, well, Jesus is baptized by John, and then notice he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Have you ever wondered why that happened? Did Jesus need the Holy Spirit? Not really. I mean, he's the Son of God. This is God in human form come down to man. So did Jesus need the empowering work of the Holy Spirit? Or could it be that it was important at this beginning stage of his ministry for John the Baptist, for all who were there that day on the shores of the Jordan River, was it important for them to recognize this is the Son of God. This is God's approval. This is God's Son. This is the Savior and the Redeemer of the world. I think that was the reason for the descending presence of the Holy Spirit. And I love the next words. And suddenly a voice came from heaven. If you would have been there that day on the Jordan River, and I've stood on the Jordan River there in Israel as, uh, as it comes right out of the Sea of Galilee. And there's a, a wide place there. And, and we went there and we baptized folks there. And I remember as I was standing in that water and we were baptizing people and, and, and holding our hand up and say, today we baptize you in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and the name of the Holy Spirit. Those words were resonating in my mind and my thinking that that day, God spoke. It may have been the first time that for those group of people there that they were hearing the audible voice of God. But God wanted to make a pronouncement. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Well, what happens after this event? It's exciting to see Jesus beginning his ministry. And so the first thing that we recognize is this. In the laying of the foundation of the church, first of all, there has to be the leading of the Spirit. There has to be the approval of God, the acknowledgement that God desires for this to happen. I believe that that's true for this church. Don't you? I believe God wants a church in Manteca that's going to teach the Word of God, it's going to minister the Word of God. It's going to stand upon the Word of God and be a church that's going to direct and point people to Jesus Christ. But what's interesting is what transpires next. Notice in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Let me ask you a question this morning. Were you tempted this week? How many of you felt like you were being tempted this week? All right, that's probably about 70%. The rest of you just aren't being truthful. Um, we're always tempted. 
I mean, James tells us that, doesn't he? He he tells us that the enemy is about tempting us. Now, I want you to understand something, and this is important. Temptation is not sin. It's only when you yield to the temptation, then sin is birthed. And as it is birthed, or as it begins to take root in us, then it begins to have its terrible effect upon our life. So we're going to be tempted. And here we find Jesus. He's beginning his ministry. He's launching out into ministry. Now, he could have easily began his ministry in Jerusalem. He could have gone there. That would have been the focal point of that day for all religious worship. But he doesn't do that. He begins his ministry in Galilee, in a kind of a remote area. Now, there, around the Sea of Galilee during this period of time, there were a lot of, of smaller villages. Josephus, in his historical writing about the first century church, says that there in the Galilee region, there were about 200 smaller communities, but the average size of those were about 15,000 people in those communities. But Josephus said this about the Galilean region. He said these people were different than the folks that were down in Jerusalem. These people were more open. They were open to innovation. They were open to new ideas. They were open to change. Now think about that for a moment. And so here's Jesus, and he's beginning his earthly ministry, and he begins in a place with a group of people that are going to be open to something different. And Jesus did bring and offer something different, something that was unlike anything that had been presented to people in that time. But he begins his ministry. He's He's approved by the Spirit and by the Father there in John or in Matthew 3. Now he's led by the Spirit. And where does the Spirit lead him? He leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. I fast for one day and I'm hungry. I didn't eat breakfast this morning. I'm hungry right now. I've got to be honest with you. When I walked in here, I was looking for the donut table. And I just got to talk to your pastor about that. What's up with no donuts? I mean, all Calvary chapels have a donut table, don't they? Oh, that was last week? Okay. I should have been here last week. But, you know, he's, he's fasting for 40 days, for 40 nights, and afterward he was hungry. Now think about what's happening with Jesus physically. Now he's fully God. We don't want to detract from that. This is God come down to man, but he's also fully man. The writer of Hebrews tells us that in like manner, Jesus also would suffer the things that we would suffer. So as a man, he was susceptible to the same temptations, to the same frail things and and problems and struggles that we deal with, and yet he knew not sin. So Jesus in that in that arena was able to be victorious over the temptation, but he's hungry, he's weak, he's frail, he's probably at the weakest point in his life next to the time when he goes to the cross. Think about that. So physically, he's pretty decimated, he's pretty wasted. And now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God, 
If you are the son of God, I can tell you this about ministry. I've been doing this for 35 years. And one of the things that I've seen consistently through all those years of ministry is there is always someone who is going to question the sonship or the authority of Christ. It go, it's gone on forever. It will go on in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It will begin with Satan. If you are the Son of God, the Pharisees and the Sadducees will challenge him and question him about the authenticity of who he is and his ministry and his claims to be the Son of God. There's always going to be resistance to Christ. I mean, we see it in our day and time, don't we? Don't we see the resistance to the gospel and the resistance to spiritual things? Christians oftentimes in our culture today, in our society today, are put down, they're made fun of, they're ridiculed because of their, their faith. It's something that's always been there. And yet we see how Jesus responds. Notice what happens. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, and this is what I love about this particular portion of Scripture. It's not just about Jesus, but it's about the Word of God. And Jesus says this, it is written. It is written. In other words, it's been transcribed. It's been put down. It's, it's, it's recorded. It's there for anyone or, or everyone who would want to see man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Jesus' response to temptation begins with the word of God. This is how we deal with temptation. But remember, we're talking about laying a, a foundation for the ministry of the church. And, and if we're able to be victorious over temptation and we rely upon the Word of God, it would stand to reason that the Word of God becomes an integral part of that foundation that we lay as a church. I know your pastor teaches the Word. I know that he's faithful to the Word of God. A uh, few months ago, we, uh, we have a, a pastor's fellowship that meets um, every two or three months, and I ask your pastor to come and share with the pastors here in uh, the Central Valley in the Bay Area. We get together. And I was so blessed because he brought such an awesome word from the word of God. And it was concise and it was direct. And, and it wasn't a lot of telling of stories, but it was just exegeting the word of God. And I thought to myself after he had shared and we'd wrapped up that that afternoon, and I was on my way home, I thought, you know, the folks in Manteca are blessed because they've got a pastor who's going to teach the Word of God. He's not going to compromise the Word. He's not going to back away from the Word. And he's going to put the meat on the table. Does he do that? Amen. Amen. I know he does. Well, Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, you have to ask yourself a question at this point in time. Was this some new tactic that Satan was using? Was this something new that he was doing? Not really, because if you go back to the very beginning, if you go back to Genesis and you see the serpent tempting Eve, 
he did exactly the same thing. What does he do, first of all? He questions the authority of God. Surely God has not said that you cannot partake of the fruit of this tree. Why would a, a loving God, have you ever heard that phrase? Why would a loving God ever do that or ever say that or ever allow that to happen? And Satan uses that for the singular purpose of creating doubt. And he wants to do that in your life and in my life. He wants to create doubt. If he can get us to begin to doubt, to begin to question, then what happens? Over time, our faith begins to erode. And rather than believing and trusting and hoping and continuing to press on and to push forward in our relationship with God, we can begin to waver and we can begin to deviate in our faith. He wants to create doubt. And he's always doing it through three things. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. He comes at Jesus, not with a new tactic, but the same one that he's always had from the very beginning. And the first thing that he does is he tempts him with the lust of the flesh. You're, you've got to be hungry. And if you're hungry, then if you're truly the Son of God, then you can make bread. You can create bread. But Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What a, what a powerful, powerful statement. We know that we need our physical sustenance, but we also need more than physical sustenance. We need our spiritual sustenance. I can feed myself, as you all can tell. I'm, I'm not um, languishing for food. Um, it's something that I have to deal with on a, on a regular basis. But you know what? It's not enough to be physically filled. It's much more important to be spiritually filled. Filled with the word of God. Well, then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. So he takes him up to a high place. A, a place of prominence, a place of authority, a, a position that many would aspire to. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written, and notice in your Bible it says again. So Jesus says to him the first time, it is written. But now he says, it is written again. In other words, Satan, I'm going to take you back to the very place that I left you. I'm going to take you back to the word of God. Yesterday, about four o'clock in the afternoon, there was a rapping on my front door. And uh, we've got a little dog. His name's Charlie. He thinks that he's a, a Rottweiler. He only weighs about six pounds. And uh, whenever somebody comes to the front door, he just goes crazy. And so finally I get him calmed down and I open the door. And it was a couple of fellas uh, at the front door and they had their little name tags and their ties. I saw their bicycles out in front. And so immediately I knew who they were and uh, they began to share with me. And it was interesting, the opening comment was, we're here today to share with you about Jesus Christ. And I said, great. Wonderful. 
I said, you know, I'd love to hear about Jesus. I said, what can you tell me about Jesus Christ? And so they began to talk to me and to begin sharing with me. And it wasn't long in the conversation they began to talk about the Book of Mormon. And I said, well, well, wait a minute. I said, let's stop for a minute. I said, let me ask you something. I said, um, why aren't you telling me about Jesus from the Bible? And they said, well, you know, the Book of Mormon. And I said, no, 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 I don't want to talk about the Book. I said, the Book of Mormon is like Time Magazine, Newsweek, People Magazine. I said, it doesn't mean anything to me. I said, what can you tell me about Jesus from the Bible? And they both kind of looked at one another, and I said, hang on just a second. I went downstairs, I grabbed my Bible, I came back up, I opened the door, I took my Bible, and I said, here, I've got a Bible right here. And I said, you take this Bible, I handed it to him, and I said, share with me about Jesus. Tell me about Jesus Christ from this book. And there was about that long of a pause. Now, I wasn't trying to be ugly, I wasn't trying to be hateful, but I realized that those two young men that were standing before me, they wanted to talk about Jesus Christ, but they were talking about a different Jesus than the one that I know to be the Jesus that's in this book. And from that point on, I began sharing with them. And, and when I usually have an opportunity to witness to someone, what I like to do is rather than just you know, with both barrels just giving them the gospel, I like to have them read the scriptures. And so I began turning, and the first scripture I turned to was John three sixteen. I said, I'd like for you to read this. And one was older and one was younger, and the younger one, he took the Bible, and the other one was looking at him like, we don't need to go there. And I had him read that verse, and I said, now let me ask you something, what does that mean to you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, and I said that whosoever, I said that's you and me and anyone who will believe in Jesus Christ. Then I turned over to John 10.10 and I had him read that. The thief cometh to steal, to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. My point is this, is even... At our front doorstep, the enemy will come to try to undermine, to try to erode the understanding that we have as to who Jesus is and how we put our faith and our trust in him. It's so important, beloved, for you and I as Christians to know that we know that we know Jesus and to be able to go to the word of God and to be able to communicate, and we don't have to be theologians or apologetics. All we need to be able to do is to articulate our faith, to know what we believe and why we believe it. And I think that that's so necessary, especially in the day and the time in which we live, because there are those who are trying to erode the very foundation and the very fabric of our faith in Jesus Christ. We need to know who he is, and what he's all about. And Jesus responded there in verse 7 to Satan, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. 
What was Satan doing? He was saying to Jesus as he took him up into that high place, I seemingly have the ability to offer you something that you don't have. You can never offer anything to Jesus that he doesn't have because he has all things. He is the Lord God. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth and the universe. I don't have anything to offer Jesus other than a broken, sinful, rebellious life. And as I offer that to him, he takes that sinful and broken and rebellious life and he changes it and he transforms it through the shed blood that he gave on the cross of Calvary. Isn't that wonderful? Aren't you a little bit excited this morning? At least smile, you'll make me feel better. Well, again, the devil took him up. What are we seeing here with Satan? He doesn't give up, does he? Oh, I can rebuke him. I can say, Satan, get thee behind me. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. By the shed blood of Jesus Christ, get thee behind me. And he'll do that. But then an hour later, he's right in front of me again. Or a day later, or a week later. He's relentless because he knows that his time is coming to an end. He knows that that there are limitations to what he's going to be able to do in this world. And as we get closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ, I believe that he just ratchets up his aggressiveness. Well, he took him up on an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I give to you if you will fall down and worship me. How arrogant, how prideful could Satan be? But if you go back to Isaiah 14 and you read about the fall of Satan, Lucifer cast out of the presence of God because he kept saying these words, I will, I will, I will. That little letter I is a significant letter because it's the middle letter in the word sin. And when he was saying, I will, he was resisting and rebelling against the very authority that God had over him as a created being. And so God cast him down in one third of the host of heaven. We know that now is Satan in the demonic host, the demonic realm. And from that moment on, he was resisting everything that God was, everything that God is, everything that God would offer, everything that God represents. That's what Satan is about. And in that pride and in that arrogance, what does he do? I will give you, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, and this is different than what he said previously, Previously, Jesus has said, it is written, it is written again. But at this point, he says, away with you, Satan. Take a hike. Get out of here. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. In him only you shall serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt at Compertium, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, 
that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness, have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time forward, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Was Jesus' message different than the message of John the Baptist? No. Same message. And yet, we see this prophecy that comes from Isaiah. Talking about this region where Jesus is beginning his ministry, this region around the Sea of Galilee, the the area of Capernaum. And Jesus would spend the bulk of his ministry in that region. It was only in the latter years that Jesus would make his way down to Jerusalem. Twice he would go down to Jerusalem, but in that last trip down to Jerusalem there on the Mount of Olives, he would look over into the city of Jerusalem. I've stood there on the Mount of Olives. I've looked over into, into the city of Jerusalem, and it's such a, an awesome sight as you stand there, and you look down below where you're at there, and you see where the Garden of Gethsemane is, and off to your left is what we believe to be Golgotha, the very place where Jesus was crucified. And, and many believe off to the right as you look down is where the tomb was, but as you stand there, you have this sense of, of what Jesus would experience as he would look at the holy city of God and know that his ministry was coming to a close. Here it's the beginning of his ministry. And the beginning of his ministry is to a people who are open, a people who are receptive, a people who are okay with change. What I would like to close with this morning is this. Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the message is singular. It's repent. The word repent, simple word in the original language, it means to make a change. It means to turn. It means to to go in an opposite direction in which you were currently going. And, And that's what Jesus is about. Jesus is always about change. It's about changing you and changing me. The change begins when we receive him, right? When I got saved, when I was born again, Jesus was saying to me, now you're a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're not what you formerly were. Now, you need to act different. You need to respond to what I'm doing in your life. And so from that point of justification now being being made right in Christ Jesus, there was this journey that began. We call it sanctification, being set apart, moving forward, allowing God to make the changes that He wants to make in our lives. But as we're going through that process, it's not just us going through that process alone. We go through that process with Christ, with the presence of the Holy Spirit, under the authority of the Word of God. We go through that process with other believers. But we also go through that process in a world that desperately needs the very thing that you and I have. They need Christ. They need Jesus, don't they? What I want to challenge you with this morning is this. Each one of you have a ministry. And your ministry in Christ is to do this. 
It's to be willing to stand up and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I'm not talking about you getting one of those bullhorns and standing on the corner over here. Uh, uh, what is this, Union Street that I came in on? Or, and, you know, or going over here by the Bass Pro Shop and, and with those sandwich sign, you know, that says repent. Now, if you want to do that, that's okay. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your witness of the very thing that Christ has done in your life. And that's looking at your community, your neighbors, your co-workers, your fellow students, whoever it may be. <clears throat> it's looking at them and, and realizing that, you know what, I have something to offer. I've received this awesome, wonderful gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, and there are those around me who have not experienced that. They don't have that. And it was given to me so that I might give it away to others. Because that's what the gospel is, right? How many of you watch cable news? Oh, come on now. Well, how many of you watch the news? You're a very uninformed group of people. <laughs> no, just kidding. Most of us watch the news. And probably the reason a lot of you don't raise your hand because... The majority of the news is not good news, is it? It's bad news. It's either bad news about the economy or bad news about a politician or bad news about this or bad news. There's a lot of bad news out there. But you know what? We're the bearers of the good news, the gospel. We have a message that won't tear down and won't destroy, but we have a message that will build up and lift people up from the, from the despair and the hopelessness and the discouragement that they live in in their daily lives. Now the question is, are you sharing the good news? And you're probably thinking to yourself, well, you know, Pastor, that's just not who I am, and, and I live that silent witness. I've got to be honest with you, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that looks like. My wife, <laughs> she laughs at me sometimes. The place I like to witness the most is at gas stations. That's a great place to witness. Another good place is on an airplane. Where are they going to go? They can only get up and go to the bathroom so many times. The best time to start a witness on an airplane is when the pilot says, now I would like for everyone to take their seats and fasten your seatbelt and there'll be no more moving around. That's a good time to witness to someone. I'm not making light of this. I'm just saying that we live in such a hopeless and a desperate time that for us, it's time to arise. This is the season of the church. This is our time. We're in a new year. This is our opportunity as the body of Christ to reach out to a lost and a dying world and to stand with Jesus and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God has laid a foundation in your life. He's laid a foundation in my life. He's given us hope through his son Jesus Christ. How could we not want to give that to someone else? I want my neighbors, my friends, my co-workers, people that I, I want to see them in heaven. I want to know that they're going to be in the presence 
of Almighty God. Would you stand with me this morning? In Matthew 3.8, Jesus said, or John said, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. The kingdom of God, Jesus declared, is within us. This, this very kingdom that we're seeing unfolding, this very ministry that's beginning here with Jesus, is the result of the empowering of the Spirit, the leading of the Spirit, and the Word of God. Jesus constantly saying, it is written. I want to I encourage you this morning, be diligent in your study of the Word Make time for the Word of God. Make time for prayer. I know we get busy. I know life presses in. Things can get chaotic and crazy. But don't don't let the world keep you from the Word of God. Spend time in the Word of God. This morning I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. Uh, I'm new here. Most of you I don't know. You don't know me. But I know this. I know that the gospel is free, and it's been offered to any who will believe, and any who will trust, and any who will call upon the name of the Lord. And so this morning, as you have your heads bowed, there may be someone here today that the Lord is speaking to. The Lord's touched your heart. The Lord's convicting you. You've never made that personal commitment to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been coming to church. You you even have a Bible. You've been singing the songs, but you've never come to the point of really surrendering, yielding, and saying, you know what, I'm going to give it all. I'm going to, I'm going to give it up. I'm going to give my life to Christ. I want Him to be my personal Lord and Savior. I want to walk out of this building today knowing that I have Christ in my heart. If that's your desire today, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Just raising your hand and say, you know what, I want to receive Jesus today. I want Christ in my life. I'm not trying to embarrass anyone. I'm not trying to make you stand out. But just simply asking you to make that simple step of faith. Raising your hand saying, I want Jesus in my heart today. I want to know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I don't want to leave here today without Christ. I want to know that I know that he's my Savior and my Lord. I want to know that I'm going to spend an eternity with him. Anyone today? Well, Father, you know what you're doing in people's hearts right now. Lord, you know what's going on. You know what the needs are in the lives of each family, each individual that's in this room today. And Lord, as we come to a close of our time together, Lord, this isn't the end. It's just the beginning of another chapter. Another another day, another week, another month, another year, Lord, until you return. And Lord, my prayer for those who are here today is simply this. That their lives would be blessed. Lord, that they would be filled with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, that as they go from this building today, they go with a greater urgency, a greater determination, a greater sense of the importance of sharing your love 
your forgiveness, your grace with others. And Lord, that they would look at their neighborhoods, they would look at their co-workers, and pray for your Holy Spirit to go before them, to empower them, to give them the courage to be able to tell others about the love of Christ and the wonderful grace that comes as a result of knowing you. Lord, it's these things that we pray and we ask for in Jesus' name. Amen.